on today's message from Harvest Church of God. So what I'm saying to you today is that everyone in this building should be pursuing after God's will for your life. I reward people that believe that I am, and I'm a rewarder of those that diligently seek after me, that chase after me. You won't be disappointed, God says. Draw nigh to me. And he says, and I will draw nigh to you. But this man, but God, but this man hath once offered himself for the sins of the whole world forever. We've been talking for a number of Sundays about the new and living way, about how that God does marvelous things when He transforms us, when He changes us and makes us into His will for our lives. Every one of us in this house, you are very unique. In fact, the Bible calls you peculiar. Amen. That doesn't mean weird. It means actually that you're one of a kind. One of a kind. You have a soul that was given to you by God. It's precious. No, no price can be attached to it because it is given to you by God, the one that gave it to you. It's also very valuable because it's so durable. You know, batteries that last 36 months are one price, but if you get 48-month battery, what happens to the price? You buy tires, and some of them guaranteed to go 20,000 miles, and others guaranteed to go 40. Which one costs more? Why? Because it goes further. Because it's more durable. Could I tell you, your soul is so durable that it will never, ever die. Your soul has been given to you by God, and it will never cease to exist. So the choice then becomes, where will it exist? And that depends upon a choice that we all make. Amen. Uh, well, things are durable because they're long-lasting and they have value. They're value because of the person that gave it to you. And uh, you've got some things at your house that are valuable that I would say you need to throw out. Some of you have some stuff laying around, but if you told me the story behind that, well, that was my grandmother's. Well, well, that was given to me by my, my father when I was a little girl. It has value because of the person who gave it to you, right? It may have no value at all to anybody else, but it's precious to you and has value. You wouldn't part for it from anything. Nothing could cause you to give it away or sell it. It's precious to you. Hey, the one that gave you your soul is so precious. You should never squander the gift that he has given to you, which is your soul. Amen. i tell you something else that uh, is valuable. It's something that's rare. You know, the, the Mona Lisa, there is no price that can be attached to it because they call it priceless. Because there's only one. Various things you can think of, you get the point. Something that's very rare is very valuable because 
It is rare. There's not another one like it. Can I tell you, your soul is so rare that there's not another one like it. Never will be, never has been. And that before you even were, when you were just a substance in your mother's womb, the Bible said God knew you. God knew you. Before the doctor ever spanked your posterior and you wham, 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 God knew you before that time. God knew you. And not only did he know you, but the Bible says he had a purpose for you. To Jeremiah, he said, before you were conceived in your mother's womb, I knew you. And I ordained for you to be a prophet. What that tells me is that God knows us from beginning to ending. We're all a part of his plan, all a part of his purpose, and he has an intentional will for every one of us. And doing what God wills and purposes for us, not somebody else, but us, constitutes what the Bible calls good works. Now, a good work is you doing what God intended for you to do. And no matter how beneficial it is or how complimentary it is, if it's not what God willed for you, it's not necessarily a good work. A good work is obedience to the purpose and the plan that God foreordained and predetermined for you. That means that I cannot do your purpose for you. You have got to do your purpose. I've got to do my purpose. No wonder Paul said, Woe unto me if I preach not the gospel. Why is that a woe? Because that was God's intended will for my life. And there's a woe attached if I don't do it. So that I can make that application and say for Jerry Irwin, that if I don't do what God intended for me and purposed for me, then I am not doing a good work, no matter whatever else I do. It's not necessarily a good work. The Bible said, let your light so shine among men that they may see your good works and give glory to who? You for doing the good work? No. Give glory to your Father which is in heaven. And that becomes encapsulated what God and our relationship is. The Bible said the sheep know the shepherd's voice. Amen. That means that we can discern his will for our lives. It's not hidden. He don't want to hide it from you. He certainly knows that for you to do it, it's got to be revealed to you. So he certainly knows that he's getting information to you, whether you're getting it or not, I don't know. But I know he's publishing it, and he's getting it to you. Wow. Then it becomes this simple equation then, doing what God called us to do. Now, every one of us in here then, according to what I've just said in the last 10 minutes, every one of us in here have a call of God upon our lives. Some of you are teachers. 
Some of you are, are, are called. Some of you are, are, are helps. You, your spiritual gift is helps. So, some of you, it's uh, healing. You, you care for people that are, that are sick and people that are hurting. You have compassion. You have love and you have empathy for people that are, are in need. And that's a gift that God gives you. Some have the gift of hospitality. They just know how to be a blessing to everybody and make everybody feel loved and accepted and wanted and desired. Do you know anybody like that? I do. I look forward to seeing those people because they always make me feel better. Do you know people that make you feel better when you're around them? And that no matter how bad you felt when you walked up to them, you left feeling different than you were when you went to them. That's because there is an anointing that accompanies every call that God has for us. So you, Kim Nelson, have an anointing from God to do what he called you to do. And nobody else can take that anointing or assume that anointing because it's just for your call. So what I'm saying to you today is that everyone in this building should be pursuing after God's will for your life. And every one of us should desire, oh, when you have a passion for God, when you have a determination for God, when you pursue after him, what uh, Tinny called a God chaser, when you become a God chaser. Are there any God chasers in here? I said, are there any God chasers in here? Don't be ashamed of it, man. Proclaim it. Say, yeah, you're talking about me, preacher. Yes, sir, that's me, A1, a God chaser. Been chasing after him ever since I heard that he died for my sins. Been chasing after him ever since I found out that he's got a home in glory for me. Been chasing after him ever since he healed my body. Been chasing after him ever since he turned my life around. Been chasing after him ever since he delivered me from my addiction. Been chasing after him ever since he brought my life back to life. I was dead, and he brought my life back to life. I've been chasing him ever since that time. Ever since I first met him, I've been chasing after him. Praise God. I want to tell you, he says, if you seek after me, if you chase after me, you'll find me. He said, if you'll knock, I'll open the door. He said, if you'll ask, I, you'll receive, I'll get it to you. He said, I, I reward people that chase after me. I reward people that believe that I am, and I'm a rewarder of those that diligently seek after me, that chase after me. You won't be disappointed, God says. Draw nigh to me. And he says, and I will draw nigh to you. Wow. So then we find that strange assemblage of, of words in Ephesians chapter 2. And I, I quote it so much, and you know I preach a lot out of those those books where the redemptive provision is so prominently a, a topic of discussion. And he begins that, that chapter by saying, and you hath he quickened. You. Now, who is he writing to? He's writing to save people. He's writing to people that are converted. He's writing to people that have passed from death unto life. 
He's talking to people that have been translated, delivered from the power of darkness and translated into the kingdom of his dear son. He's talking to people that have experienced new life in Christ. He's talking to people whose lives are hid with God in Christ. And he says, you who were dead. Dead. What killed me? You who were dead in disobedience, trespasses, doing things you shouldn't be doing, saying things you shouldn't be saying, hanging out with folks you shouldn't be hanging out with, going to places you shouldn't be going to. You were trespassing. I said you were trespassing. You were dead in trespasses. And not just doing and going and saying and being. He said, not only were you trespassing, you were trapped in sin. You were dead in sin. Spiritually, you were a dead corpse. You had no spiritual life in you. Nothing about God was in your being. You were dead. And he said, and you who were dead hath he quickened. And he said, amongst whom also we were, had in our bodies, the, we were the children of wrath, even as others. Going down to that second and third verse up there, if you will, please. And he talks about we walked according to the course of this world. We didn't walk according to the course of heaven. We walked according to the course of this world, that world that Demas fell in love with. And he forsook the apostleship. And he went back to what he was doing before he got saved. Come on, somebody. And he said, you walk according to the course of this world, according to the prince of the power of the air. Who in the world is that? The devil. Lucifer. Satan. Jesus said, if you're not for me, you're for the one that I'm against. If you're not for me, you're on the other side of the equation. You're for the devil. Well, I'm not for anybody, Pastor. I'm just kind of in the middle. It don't matter to me one way or the other. Well, you better get off of the middle because you're, there is no middle. You're either going to heaven or you ain't. Sorry about that poor English. Saved or you're not. Amen. Forgiven or you're not. New creature or you're not. Amen. Got to have that experience. And he says, you were dead and you walked according to the, you did what the devil wanted you to do. Prince and the power of the air, the spirit. You mean this thing is spiritual? You mean it's, it's, it's not fleshly? No, it's, it's about spirit. It's what's going on in your spirit. The spirit, you had a spirit and he said, that now worketh. It's alive and it's vibrant and it's gaining ground. It is working in the children of disobedience. Who is that? People that don't know God, lost, having no hope without God in this world. They're depraved. They can't lift up themselves. And he calls them the children of disobedience. Next verse. Among whom also we all had our conversation now, one problem about biblical literature is that the language that was used at the time is not the way we understand it today. We talk about conversation being me and you talking. 
Back in those days, conversation meant behavior and the way you act. And he said, we all acted like in times past, like we had a lust in our heart for the things of the flesh, fulfilling the desires of the flesh. I'm going to do what I want to do. It's going to be my way or the highway, my way or trailways, <laughs> fulfilling the desires of the flesh and of the mind, and we're by nature the children of wrath. In other words, it's something we inherited in our nature. Our nature, we were born with our back toward heaven. We were born with our back toward God. We were going away from God when we were born. Job said, I was born in sin, and in sin did my mother conceive me. Lost and going the wrong way. And that's the condition of everyone that's without Jesus. You're going the wrong way. Wrong way. Listen, and you were just like the nature of the children of wrath, even as others. Are you ready to shout? Well, I didn't come here to shout, Brother Jerry. This seat's pretty comfortable. Well, let's see what the next verse says and see if you'll shout. Next verse. But God. Do we have any but gods in here? Do we have any has-beens that but God? Have we got any used-to-bees but God? Have we got any people with a past but God? But God who is rich in mercy. I'm glad he's rich in mercy. I'm glad he's rich in forgiveness. I'm glad he's rich in compassion. I'm glad he's rich in making people brand new and changing their nature. I'm glad he's rich in mercy for his great love. What love is that? The love that he has for the world, that he gave his only begotten son that whosoever believeth on him should not perish but have everlasting life. Because of that love that he has for the world, wherewith he loved us. And that love is so powerful that Romans 5 and 8 says, but God commendeth his love toward us in that while we were yet sinners, Christ died for us. God, who is rich in mercy, sent his son Jesus, that faithful saying that's worthy of all acceptation, that Christ Jesus came into the world to save sinners of whom I am chief. God, who is rich in mercy because of his loving nature, with his love that he loved us. Next verse. Even when we were dead in sin, even when I was lost, even when I was nothing, cast aside to the road. He looked over and saw me, and he had compassion upon me, and he extended his grace toward me. While I was lost, while I was sinful, while I was dead in sins, he made me alive together with Jesus. By grace, are you saved? Now, that is a favorite theme of Paul. Paul loves that theme of positional righteousness. Not behavioral righteousness, but position righteousness. Position righteousness comes first. Behavioral righteousness comes later. It's called discipleship. 
You can't get to that righteousness until you first accept the positional righteousness. What is positional righteousness? I'm in Christ. I said I am in Christ. And those that are in Christ shall rise first. Those that are in Christ have his grace and his blessing upon their lives. Hereby know we that we are in him by his word that dwelleth in us. In him verily is the love of God perfected. Whoso keepeth his word, in him verily is the love of God perfected. Hereby know we that we are in him. You mean I can know that I'm in Christ? You mean I don't just have to sit here and hope? You mean I can know? Hey, if you don't know today, then you need to make some adjustments before you leave this room today. Because living not knowing is not good. How do I know how well the Word of God operates in you? In him verily, whoso keepeth his word, in him. Somebody say in him. In him, in him, whoso keepeth his word. The Word of God is that convincing power inside you. Whoso keepeth his word in him verily is the Word of God perfected. In other words, it's made complete. It's not just words on a piece of parchment paper. It's not just on a scroll. David said, I've hidden his word in my heart that I might not sin against God. You see, having a fixed heart means you've got the word of God in your heart and the word of God has been perfected in your heart and that you have obeyed from the heart that form of doctrine that was delivered unto you. For with the heart man believeth unto righteousness. Wow. Even when we were dead in sin, he made us alive, quickened us together with Christ, for by grace are you saved. Not works righteousness, not works righteousness, not giving alms, not, not good, good deeds, not being kind and loving. Those all are commendable, but they won't save you. Works righteousness won't save you. Though I give my, all of my goods to feed the poor. Though I speak with tongues of men and angels. All of that almsgiving and all of that behavioral righteousness is as the sounding brass of a tinkling cymbal. It profits me nothing. Why? Because I haven't got that positional righteousness. I've never accepted that what Jesus did at Calvary's cross he did it all for me. And that my sins were nailed to his cross. Somebody ought to be in the aisle. My sins, your sins, were nailed to his cross. The Bible said he bore our sins on the tree. When describing the high priesthood of Jesus, the Bible said every priest standeth daily in the temple offering sacrifices of animals which can never take away sin. But this man, but this man, but God, but this man hath once offered himself for the sins of the whole world forever. 
Wow. But this man, boy, the devil hates that, that, that word, but this man. He tried in a wilderness to tempt him, but he couldn't shake him. He couldn't move him. He tried to put him in a grave and hold him in a grave, but a grave couldn't hold him. So when you talk to the devil, say, but this man, you'll remind him that he can never have power or victory over this man. Who is that man? The Bible said the man Christ Jesus. The man Christ Jesus. Next verse. Glory to God. And he hath raised us up from our lowest state. He has raised us up. For being nothing and nobody and no hope, he raised us up. A chosen generation, a royal priesthood, a holy nation, a peculiar people. Why did God raise us up? That he may show forth the praises of him who has called you out of the darkness and into his marvelous light, which in times past were not a people, but now have become the people of God, which had not obtained mercy, but now you have obtained mercy. He elevated and lifted us up with Christ and made us to sit together in heavenly places. This world is not my home. I may leave most any time. Brother, I want to tell you, the Bible said, but now. When is now since he's raised me up with Christ? But now they desire another country that is a heavenly. And God is not ashamed to be called their God because he has prepared for them a city. A city. In other words, he's given us an inheritance. He's given us a future. Now, let me hurry to a close with this. Didn't even touch the notes today. And all of that's just laying a foundation. The framework of Pauline theology is all, all about an already but not yet framework his theology is always about we're going somewhere this is not this world earthly things this is not what we should find appealing and attach ourselves to and he'll, he'll make those claims like you know if no soldier entangleth himself with the affairs of this life that he may please him who has called him to be a soldier. He does that, that angst that is there between now and then. He, he's, he's got this, this situation of I, I'm pressing on. I, 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 I've got these credentials that, that, that the earthly people really rejoice and get impressed about. Hebrew of the Hebrews, Pharisee of the Pharisees, tribe of Benjamin, uh, circumcised the eighth day. All of those things concerning the law lacking nothing. He said, now if you want, he said, if anybody has a right to rejoice about who they are and what they've accomplished, he said, I do. 
Listen. But all of the things that I would count as gain. Now we've got into this commerce thing of gain and loss. Profit and lost. All of these things that I have gained, all of this commerce, all these deposits that I've made, all of these good things that exalt me and build me up and make me look good and powerful and authority and have names and labels and positions and authority, all of that, he said, all of the things I thought was gained are lost. And he even used the word skalaga. It means street rubbish. You know what street rubbish is? People spit their ambeer over on the street. Dead animals lay around on the side of the street. Cigarette butts and beer cans. Would you say rubbish? Everything that I count as gain to me is like street rubbish, trash, garbage. Why? That I might gain Christ. Not a religious system, but a person. That I might have a relationship. That I might know Him. That I, I might have a sense of His presence. I know when He's around. He says this relationship that I have with Him is, is like a parent with a child. And this relationship is so intimate, it's as a husband and a wife. We know each other better than we know anybody else. Can you say today, I know the Lord Jesus better than I know anybody? Can you say I'm more acquainted with Him than I am anybody? I desire Him and His presence more than I desire anyone else. Whew. And he said that that relationship that I have it is so important to me that it is the strength of my life. It's what drives me. It's what causes me to lose attachment to the things of this earth. They grow strangely dim in the light of His glory and grace. Knowing Him, being with Him, talking with Him, walking with Him is the highlight. I know in whom I have believed, and I am persuaded that He is able to keep everything that I have committed unto him against that day. Whew. Now he says, all in that same passage, that's in Philippians chapter 3, and he goes down th through there talking about all the great things that God means to him. Listen to what he says in uh, Timothy 2.20. He said, the life that I live, this life I live, 
I live it by faith. I live it by the faith of the Son of God who loved me and gave himself for me. Did you know that this one who gave himself for you is a living person that lives in you, that walks in you, that dwells, empowers you, and strengthens you? Wow. And then he comes on down to that 20th verse in that third chapter of Philippians, and he says, but now, our conversation is in heaven. In other words, he's talking to some beat-down folks in Philippi, the Philippians. And he, they're under a terrible yoke. And the yoke is an oppressive thing by the Roman, strong, conquering Roman government. There's a Caesarian ruler whose name is Nero, and he hates Christians. He's got a knife that is a long blade, and he puts Christians at the top of a, a scaffold and slides them down that knife, and it slices them in two. He's got a chop block out on the Appian Way, out of Rome. And he severs the head of Christians. They are beheaded for their testimony of the Lord Jesus. You are so fortunate to live in a dispensation now when you can say, I'm a Christian, and you don't have to fear being killed for it. But he said, but now I have my conversation in heaven. That means everything I've got is in the future and it's in heaven. My Savior, my mediator, my interceder, my Lord, my King. You see, one of the, one of the things about Roman oppression, one of the terms that they used for Caesar was Savior, Lord. Lord and Savior. Put it back up there. I'm going to use that verse. Lord and Savior. In other words, they referred to Caesar as the Lord of the Roman government. Look what he signed that verse with. For our conversation is in heaven from whence we look for the Savior, the Lord Jesus. And he also said, when, everywhere that he speaks theologically, he says, our Lord Jesus Christ. When he writes to these Philippians, it originally reads, Christ Jesus, my Lord. Instead of our Lord Jesus Christ, he says, Christ Jesus, my Lord. You see, when it becomes personal, when it's not just a corporate thing, when you know the Jesus that the pastor is preaching from the pulpit, that you know the Jesus that when he reads the text about Jesus, you know that person because he is your best friend. It becomes personal. And when it becomes personal, then he begins to do what he did with Jeremiah. He said, Jeremiah, go down to the potter's house. And I'll show you something. I'll teach you a lesson at the potter's He said, so I went down to the potter's house. And he said, I saw him as he was shaping vessels on a wheel. Or wheels is plural, actually. Because 
the, that apparatus was powered by his foot. He would spin it with his foot, Antoine, and then he would take his hands and he would shape a vessel. Already had in mind what it's going to look like before. And the song says, Oh, I was that vessel that no one thought was good. I cried, Lord, you're the potter and I am the clay. Make me over today. You see, that transformation that we're looking for Romans 12 and 2, be not conformed to the world, but be transformed by the renewing of your mind. When you come to this behavioral righteousness and this discipleship thing, there are times when you have to renew. Now, the word for conversion and the word for transformed is metamorpho. Metamorpho. And since you were in seventh grade science, you've known that term, metamorphosis. What is that? That means that little hairy, worm-like figure that's crawling around on the ground has a destiny. Inside him, there's a purpose. He's intended and made to fly. But right now, he's an ugly, crawling around on the ground worm. But when his change comes, then he's going to morph into what he was destined to be. Glory to God. And then he's going to take wings and he's going to fly and become what he was destined to to be. Now I want to tell you, the problem so much is caterpillar people. Caterpillar people are always down. They look down. They look down on everybody else. Their perspective and their Mood is down. Their future is down. And the only thing that can change the downwardness is for them to become what God destined for them to be. And for them to take wings and soar like God wants them to. Now we have our conversation in heaven from whence we look for the change. And that change is going to take place. Stand with me, please, all over the house. Boy, the notes got thrown away this morning. But maybe the Holy Ghost just kind of guided us through that. But I want you to understand as you leave the house of God today, I want you to know that your happiest, your most content, your most fulfilled, and God is most praised when you are doing what God called you to do and being the person God wants you to be. If you're not busy doing that, then get busy 
doing that. Get busy doing that. Amen.